Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Good morning, church. Hey, thank you for that uh, little anniversary blessing. Appreciate your prayers and thank you for celebrating us. Hey, uh, if you weren't here Wednesday night, we had an incredible night, or not, not Wednesday night, Friday night. If you weren't here Friday night, we had an incredible night of worship, and uh, we recorded, I think it was seven original songs that we've written here in the Seeds house over, over this last year so far, and more songs to come. And so this has been something that um, the Lord has birthed in Jamie and I's heart a long time ago, we knew even when we started Seeds Church that even before we launched in the first day, almost six years ago, that worship was going to be one of the centerpieces. Uh, worship and prayer and the Word are the main centerpieces of our worship here and the, the focus at Seeds Church. And um, the enemy has done a tremendous amount to try to hinder that in this house. And, um, and not just recently, but over years and years' time. And what we experienced on Friday night was a long time coming. And finally, uh, just something just this year, at the beginning of the year, the Lord spoke to Jamie and, and Jesse and said, like, it's time to get off of laurels, it's time to, to press, it's time, it's time to press in, it's time to, for a breakthrough. And this year, uh, several of us have been diligent about writing, and uh, we've been introducing most of these songs on Sunday mornings. There was one song that remained kind of unfinished for a long time, and then it got finished, and then we never introduced it until Friday night, and it was a lot of people's favorite song. Uh, Kendra came to us. Uh, Kendra's writing songs all the time. Where's where are, There you are, brother. And uh, he came to us with this line. He's like, I got this idea for this song. I'll bring the wood. You bring the fire to the Lord, you know, because I was like, my goodness, that fits within the theme that God gave us this year of making every home an altar. And so we wrote that song and played it on Friday night. And a lot of people are like, where did that come from? And like, well, we've had it in our back pocket and we'll pull it out now. So you're going to be hearing that more on Sunday mornings. But we, we, we recorded these songs and now we have the work of post-production to do before we release them, and we just want that to be a blessing to this house and, and to whoever else may come across it. But these are the anthems of this house, and so just I just want to rejoice and thank God that um, we're walking in obedience to him. Praise the Lord. Once you stand with me this morning, we're going to read um, from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We're going to read from chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. I'm going to invite you to read along with me out loud this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have adopted us into your family through the glorious grace made possible to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, that Hebrews tells us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are unchanging. We thank you that in a, in a turmoil, I can't even say that world, a, word full, a world full of turmoil, Lord, we thank you that you are never changing. We thank you that I will be able to speak today. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Termutulate, I can't say it. I know, I know the word. I just can't, my tongue won't make those sounds. Praise the Lord. Um, I, I was talking with somebody the other day. We were talking about, you know, social media and some stuff, and uh, I said something about, hey, you know, um, oh, I, I know. It was someone was asking about the, the men's lunch that we do once a month on the second Tuesday of the month. I said, well, if you get on the men's Facebook group, you know, I send out a reminder on there along with emails and stuff. And he said, well, I'm not on Facebook anymore. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, he says, you know, when you were in the earlier in the part of the year when you were talking about tearing down altars, this is like May, June. He goes, I felt like that was an altar in my life uh, that I, I needed to tear down so that I could rebuild the altar of the Lord. And I was like, congratulations, good job. I'm not going to encourage you to get back on social media. But that is, that is so much, that, social media is a, is a place where like so many of us abide and live. And I remember this one time about maybe eight or nine years ago, I'm scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and I came across this picture of a bunch of friends of mine that were out having a good time together doing something and you know they just took a little group photo and it looked great and they, everybody looked happy and I was like oh that's really cool and then all of a sudden it like hit me like why did nobody call me to go do the fun thing why did nobody call us to like join in and it and it I don't feel like anybody had anything against us it's just these group this group of people went and did something and but I was hit with this like the, the, the FOMO thing. You guys know what that is? FOMO, fear of missing out. And, and I noticed and recognized something that this photo had way more power over me than it should. This, this concept and this idea uh, of like, what's a fear of missing out, a fear of like wanting to be part of this and I didn't get invited. And it was like, made me just feel like, sad and depressed and down on myself. And I was like, this is not cool. And the Holy Spirit began to minister to me and speak to me about fasting social media. And I did that uh, for almost two months. And it was so cleansing. It was so great. But social media is this thing where we, we abide way too much. And it's designed, all these different platforms are designed to hook you and keep you to keep scrolling, to watch the next thing, to see the next post. And in doing so, scientists tell us it's rewiring us and it's shaping us. 
And I think about, man, we're supposed to be shaped in the image of Christ. And yet, these big tech companies are molding us and shaping us into consumers. And molding us and shaping us so that they can sell their product to us. So that they can grab our dollars. And, and, it's, and it has even more of a harmful effect on us than just giving our money to something that isn't fruitful. It's, it's shaping our identity. It's rewiring our identity. And we're living in this day where so much of the population just spends their time, their energy, and their focus just scrolling through social media feeds. And listen, I've, I'm guilty too from time to time. My wife, who's like my own personal Holy Spirit sometimes, um, she's like, do you realize how long you've just been scrolling? I was like, oh, I don't know, like 10 minutes. She goes, maybe try 30. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, wow, where did that time go? And, and I don't have anything to show for it. And, and I'm spending all this time in, in all this media that we're consuming. It's shaping the way that we see ourselves in ways that are very subtle. And we, we, we don't really notice it from day to day. But if we look at our lives and we look at the way that we see ourselves today compared to before social media existed, there, we look at society and there's been a huge, gigantic effect and change. And it, and it affects the way that we see others. And it affects the way that we see how we fit into the world around us. It's having a huge impact on us as individuals, and then that trickles down into our home life, and, and, and it affects our church life, and it affects our business life, and it affects things at school, and it affects every single area of society. And there's so many great things about technology. There are. But there's also some incredible serious ramifications. And this, this message isn't about social media. It's not about the evils of technology or big tech. But there's so many people that are having to battle with fear and insecurity and anxiety and, and poor self-image. And if these things are left unchecked, they absolutely have the ability to define you. They have the ability to shape you. They have the ability to distort you. This is, this is not just my opinion. This is, this is truth. This is fact. There's studies that prove this and show this. And, and so we're, we're talk, what we're talking about is our identity. And identity is the hot topic of today. I mean, you can't go one single day without hearing something about identity in our culture. Now, the, the obvious, more obvious things of, about identity in our culture have to do with like, you know, woke sexual identity, woke uh, gender ideology and that kind of stuff. But the spirit behind all of that, this is nothing new. This has existed for throughout the ages because it's all pushed and dominated by evil, evil, wicked spirits that are not new on the scene. We're living in new days, but with the same old demons. And, and so before it became this woke gender and sexual ideology, if we were talking about identity, 
There were just, it trickles down in other ways. Maybe you don't have an identity crisis about your sexuality or your gender, but maybe your identity crisis has to do with what kind of business person you are, what kind of parent you are, and you're finding your identity in these kinds of things, how useful you are, how successful you are, how talented and skilled you are. So it affects every single one of us on some level. And discussions about identity are happening all across society. And it doesn't take, you know, somebody with a doctorate in sociology. It doesn't take someone like that to see that we are living in a world of considerable identity crisis. What does the identity crisis look like? How does it look like in a person's life? How does it play out? It manifests in all kinds of ways. It manifests in being confused about your identity. And it manifests in being frustrated about your identity. It manifests in being insecure about your identity. And again, I'm not just picking on the more obvious things that we're talking about and that are all around us all the time with, with, you know, gender and sex. Those things are legit and those things are being pressed and pushed right now but if that's not an issue for you you're being attacked in some other subtle ways it just it's just the truth because it's the same spirit behind it studies show that the way that you see yourself your identity it has an effect on your mood it has an effect on your uh, serotonin releases it has an effect on other chemicals that are released in your body and in your brain Your identity has an effect on your mind and your body and your spirit. Uh, Open your Bibles, if you will, with me. This scripture's not up on the screen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And and I just want to highlight something here that Paul says to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I'll start reading when I hear pages stop flipping. Some of you got your Bible on your device, and that's fine. I'm going to go with the paper Bible, praise the Lord. And I want to encourage you if you, don't, if you don't have an actual hard copy, you need to get one. Um, there's all kinds of reasons. Number one, when you sit down with this, the only notifications that pop up are Holy Spirit notifications. Yeah, you know. I don't, I don't, you know, when I just sit down with this and leave my phone or my iPad in the other room, I don't get the dings, I don't get the, you know, the weather today, uh, I don't get the text messages, I don't get the so-and-so liked your photo, you know, I, I don't get any of that, I just get what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to me. The other reason that it's good to have one of these hard copies right now is because there is um, legitimately people that are trying to rewrite scripture right now. And we need to have hard copies. So when those things go out and people are trying to change the word of God, we can go, no, 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 no. This is, this is what it really says. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says this. He says, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the Spirit. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach different Jesus than the one we preach, 
or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. So Paul's talking to this Corinthian church and he's talking, this is his second letter to them and he's dealt already in 1 Corinthians with, a, with some pretty major things going on in their church and brought some correction to it. But he's also recognizing that the church has done, they, 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 like, they love the Lord. They have this pure and undivided devotion to Jesus. How many of you say, yeah, I, I, I want to be somebody known as someone who has a pure and undivided vo- devotion to Christ? Amen. But Paul's saying, hey, just because you have that today, you can't take that for granted. You have to be vigilant because he says, I don't want that to be corrupted. Just like Eve was deceived, you can be deceived. And then Paul says this, don't be so open-minded to the world, to the empty philosophies of the world. Don't be be open-minded to just whatever that you hear. And and then specifically here, he's saying, don't be just open-minded to even just everything that you hear preached if it is different than the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be open-minded to other spirits than the Holy Spirit. Because if you are, then you will have your love and devotion corrupted. You're gonna buy into a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the enemy's greatest tactics is to deceive you to separate you from God's identity over you and to isolate you from truth. When this happens, it leads to frustration. It leads to disappointment. It leads to depression. It leads to accepting something less than God's very best for you. you. You end up accepting something less for yourself than who God created you to be. And if Satan, if he he can trick you into believe something about yourself other than God's identity for you, if he can keep you from understanding who God created you to be, then he can keep you from doing what God created you to do. Because identity is always linked to purpose. Some of us don't know what we're here on earth for. We don't know what we're created for. That's because you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are in Christ. And that's why we have a generation in this country who seems to be drifting aimlessly and without purpose and without going toward anything that has any kind of substance. It's because they, they don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. They don't know the truth about who God's created them to be. You want to do something great with your life? You want to make a difference? You want to fulfill God's purpose for your life? then your foundation is knowing who God is and then who he says you are. When you don't have the correct sense of identity in Christ, you put on a mask to portray yourself to others in the way that you think that they want to see you, in the way that you think that they expect you to be. You put on a persona. You pretend to be something that you're not. And if this goes unchecked, it becomes like a part of, a predominant part of your life to the point that you lose sight of who you really are. 
One of the reasons we play the mask game, one of the reasons we put on these personas is because every single one of us long to belong. We have this deep need to be loved and accepted. And a lot of people that play the mask game, they, they struggle with their identity because they're afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of being isolated. Or maybe they've already been rejected or isolated. And so they're going to put on a persona, they're going to put on a mask, something that they're not, so that they can find their way into some group or some community of people that will love and accept them. That's why gangs are super popular in the inner city. It's not because just kids are looking to like live the gangster life, but they're looking for love and acceptance. That's why a lot of people are, are that's why the, the, the movement of the LGBTQ movement is growing because of the love and acceptance. Oh, you're dealing with this? You don't know what's going on? You don't know your identity? Then you can come and be part of our group. Does, you see how that works? Because we have this deep sense of, of, of need and longing to, to be needed, to be loved and be accepted. So then you end up living your life in a way that you were never created to live. And you, you learn how to live with this assumed identity instead of living God's designed identity for you. And here's how it goes. So Satan attacks you at the core of your being, at the core of your identity. He starts challenging your God-given identity. You begin to believe the lies. Then you become unsure of your identity. You see, this is, it's not, we don't just take somebody strong like Lee who knows who he is. He knows God's identity for him. He knows God's purpose for him. And we don't just say, tomorrow, all of a sudden, Lee's in an identity crisis. It happens in this slow scale. Uh, I remember the, the Casting Crown song called Slow Fade. And, and it's like throwing the, the, the frog in the pot of water, and then you just begin to eventually increase the heat level until you cook that thing. He doesn't realize, I don't know if that's even real. I, I, I would think that the frog would jump out eventually. But we all know that illustration, right? And you cook the frog. You don't just throw him in the water, boiling water. He'll jump right out. But this is how it happens. So Satan attacks you at the very core of your being. And, and he challenges God's identity for you. Then you begin to believe the lies. Then you become unsure of your identity. And you start believing something false about who God created you to be. And then you wear some kind of mask to hide your insecurity. But behind that mask, the insecurity festers and it grows like, like multiplying bacteria. And the mask keeps you from experiencing genuine closeness and meaningfulness in relationships with God and relationships with others. The very thing that you're seeking for the very thing that you desire to be loved and accepted, you now are, you've put on this assumed identity that is not given to you by God because you think this is what's going to gain you love and acceptance, but it's also the very thing that's going to destroy you and going to destroy your relationships and keep you from true, meaningful closeness and, and acceptance in a godly and pure way. And it's gonna hinder your relationship with God. Not because God's like, that's so disgusting. I can't believe they're wearing that mask. I'm walking away from you. 
No, it's because it's what you've chosen. It's not because God's walking away from you. God's always there. He's in, in Luke chapter 10. He's the father standing on the front porch waiting for the prodigal to come home. Desperately desiring for the sons and daughters to come home. He's not running away from you. It's just that we have run away from him. And we're wearing these masks. And what is life without meaningful relationships? It's empty. It's hollow. It's meaningless. So what we need to do is ditch the masks and start taking steps toward our identity in Christ. And and when you're secure in Christ, you, you can be confident in being genuine and authentic and not being worried about being rejected or isolated. I don't know one single person who is strong in their identity in Christ who walks in fear of being rejected or isolated. They are the most peaceful, calm, like they have a peace about them. When I say calm or peaceful, I don't mean like their life is without chaotic circumstances. I mean that even in the middle of difficult and unfavorable circumstances, there is a peace that passes all understanding that guards their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus because they know their position in Christ. In Ephesians passage, the one that we just read a moment ago, Paul gives these identity statements sprinkled throughout those like four verses that we read. And from this passage, what are the things that God wants us to know about the identity he's given to us through Jesus? Let's, let's throw these up here. These, these are the things that Paul said here in that passage. First one is this, that Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Do we have that on there? We do, I know, it's gotta be. There it is, praise the Lord. Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Some of us are walking around with the identity that our life is not blessed. And in fact, it's the opposite of that, it's cursed. We are walking around with with an identity of like, well, something about my life is cursed. No, your identity in Christ is that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Now, the, the, the next thing Paul says is that we are united with Christ. How many have ever had moments in your life where you feel like, where in the world is God? I, am, I have far from him, I have strayed away from him, or he just seems to be absent right now. Well, listen, that's just a feeling, and feelings are real, but they're not all true. Your feelings are real, but that doesn't mean that they're true. And so we need to be reminded that we are united with Christ. And the scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's the next thing. God loves us and he chose us. You are not in the family of God by accident. You didn't just stumble your way in and find your life. Oh, hey, look where I am at. Great, this is awesome. No, God loved you and chose you. We are holy and without fault in his eyes. Oh, but JD, if you only knew (laughs) uh, what I said last night, or even in the car ride on the way here today, if you knew (laughs) what happened between the, the conversation that I, or the conversation that I had with my spouse or my kids, you wouldn't say that I'm without fault in, in his eyes. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Listen, now, now Paul says, should we continue in sin now that grace abounds? Well, God forbid. But the grace of God, it makes us holy. 
The grace of God makes us without fault in God's eyes. God adopted us into his own family. Some of you are walking around and you think that you've got these generational curses in your family. And the sins of the fathers have been passed down to the children. And that may be the natural reality. But if you are in Christ, you have been adopted into his family. And so that bloodline of generational curse and sin has been broken and you are now in the family of God and the blood of Jesus runs through your veins. The glorious grace has been poured out on us who belong to his dear son, praise God. The glorious grace has been poured out on you and you belong to Jesus. These are some identity statements that we need to start identifying with and believing about ourselves, not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, but because Jesus did it already. He's accomplished the work. Why is this important for us to know? If you skip down just a few verses in that same chapter in in Ephesians chapter one, skip down to verse 18. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Jesus has hope for you today. Jesus has called you today. Jesus has made you holy today. And he has a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created for good works in Christ. We're going to read that here in a second. Uh, Some of you are like, can we just get on with this? I'm getting hungry. Me too. I'm getting hungry too. It makes me think of the, when I was a kid, going to the Shoney's Buffet. Some of y'all, you're a little bit younger than me. You're like, Shoney's, why would you ever go to Shoney's? Listen, back in the day, Listen, I'm talking about back in the day before the state law was that you had to go get a new plate before you went back for a return trip to the buffet. We're talking about way back in the day. Shoney's was the bomb, you guys. And listen, my mom cooked plenty when we were growing up, but every once in a while, you know, every once in a while I would talk about how I grew up and we were just, I lived in a, grew up in a great home, good godly home, not perfect, but awesome. It really was good. But we didn't have a lot, you know. We grew up poor, and I've made this joke before. We, we were so poor, we, did, we were po. We couldn't afford the other two letters. But we weren't so po that we couldn't go to Shoney's every once in a while. And here's why. Because on Wednesdays, kids 12 and under ate free, praise God. <laughs> and you know, me and my sister always look forward to it. Every Wednesday, we, hey, Mom, Dad, are we going to go to Shoney's after church on Wednesday night? And sometimes, no. You know, but sometimes yes. And man, you guys remember Shoney's had that buffet. They had that buffet, and you would get up to, I, as a kid. I'd go up to that buffet, and I'd oh man, I felt like a king, dude. I felt like the king of the world. I I get to pick and choose every, what I want and how much of it that I want. And I, yeah, I want some of this, and I'll have that. Ooh, I'll have a lot of that right there. And I would just walk and strut back to my table. Forget Burger King. I was the Shoney's king, you know? And, and, and I, I love Sundays, too. Sundays were great because Sundays was the brunch bar. So they had all the regular stuff, but then they had all the brunch stuff, too. And you, you would roll up there, and they had this, like, mountain of bacon, 
And I was like, I just get a whole plate of bacon, thank you very much. And then I would get the, the, those little um, the strawberry shortcake things, that, but they were like cups. They were cake cups. So you would get these little strawberry shortcakes. I don't know why. I mean, this was total dessert, you guys. It was nothing healthy about it at all. And I'd walk up there like on a Sunday after church, load up a plate of bacon, and then I'd have another plate. And I had like four of these like strawberry cupcake things. And then you'd take the strawberries that were in the sauce, and you'd just fill those little cake cups up, buddy. And then you'd go over and grab the, the can of whipped cream and you just. And I would just walk back to the table, buddy. Like I was just on top of the world. I was Jed Clampett, you guys, because I had struck gold. Black, struck oil, black gold. Texas tea, right? I was moving to Beverly. Heels, that is. Swimming pools and movie stars. That's how it felt. That's how it felt going to the buffet. And that's, that's what the world feels like about identity. They, they want to go through the identity buffet. And they want to say, oh, yeah, let me get some of this. I'll get some of that. I'll pile it up. I'm, I'm the king of my identity. I'm in control. I can choose what I want. It's just empty calories, though. <laughs> They think they, they want a little bit of this. People think they want a little bit of that and that they are going to create their own identity. They think that identity is a spectrum or a buffet and they've got their plate and they're just walking through it and they think that they're feasting. But they're just destroying their life because from heaven's perspective, identity is binary. And I don't just mean that in, in the sexual or the gender way. It, it, it's, it's one or the other. That's what binary is. And yes, as far as our, our sexual identity and our gender identity, there are only two. God made us male and female, and we could, some people say, well, there's only two choices, but that's not even a correct statement because it's not a choice. It's already been predetermined for us. It's been chosen for us by God. And, and, and so God made us male and female, and God is God, and he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that the very nature of God is unchanging, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he hasn't evolved. I've heard that argument. Well, God has evolved. I'm like, where does that say that in the Bible? God has now become open-minded to this stuff then he wouldn't be God. <laughs> See how that works? But to God, God's perspective of our identity is binary, and it's not just the male and female thing. That's true in the physical realm, but there's this other spiritual truth as well. Spiritually speaking, there are only two. Saints and sinners. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. Simply put, what is a sinner? It's someone who's far from God. It's someone who's living their life in the ramifications of their fallen and sinful condition. They're blindly just walking their way through life, experiencing the resistance of a fallen world and a false identity. 
a saint. That's someone who's been saved by Jesus Christ through the grace of God. They're redeemed. They're set free from the law of sin and death, not by their works, but by the grace of God, made possible by Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, his selfless and compensatory death, and his glorious resurrection. There's only two. And when you decide to put your faith and hope in Jesus for your life, you decide to follow him, you decide to become a disciple, darkness no longer has authority over you. This is what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, For God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So you are now transformed into the kingdom of God, transferred into the kingdom of God. And and, and you step out of your old identity and now you have a brand new identity and you have gone from being a sinner to now you are a saint. And there's nothing in the middle. There's no such thing as a half Christian. There's no saint-sinner hybrids in the kingdom of God. I know a hybrid car is really great for saving on miles per gallon. You know what they're not great for? Power. Torque. Force. There's no saint-sinner hybrid in the kingdom of God. Because if we try to live there, then we're going to be devoid of spiritual power and spiritual torque and spiritual force. There's nothing in the middle. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard someone say something like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, you know, how many of you have heard grandma say that? You know, listen, that's been around for a long time, and praise God for grandmas. But, you know, that has a real nice ring to it. It rolls right off the tongue. I love the, the alliteration of it. I really like alliteration, and it sounds really great, great, but I don't like the theology of it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Why? Because if you are a sinner, it means that you're not yet saved and redeemed and set free. A more accurate statement for us is, I was a sinner, and now I am saved by grace. Praise God. I'm a saint. The sinner was the old identity. But because I became, this is what Jesus, the language that Jesus used in John chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. What does that infer? It means a new identity. So I can't say, if I've been born again, then I'm no longer a sinner. I was a sinner. It's not that I'm afraid to admit that, or, or want to deny the sinful nature. No, I was. That's who I was. That existed. And do, do I, is there still struggles with sin in my life? Well, yeah, but that's not my identity. My identity is that I'm a saint, that I've now saved by grace. I have been born again. Let's read the way that Paul wrote it in the next chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read 10 verses here. Verse 1 says, Once you were, 
past tense. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin. I didn't underline that one, but that's also past tense. You used to. Now, do you think Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and every single one of them are perfect and they don't struggle with any sin in their life? No. But yet Paul is laying it out for them. Listen, this is your new identity. You used to live in sin. This is the way that you need to see yourself. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, past tense, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were, past tense, Subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were, past tense, we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because... We are united with Christ Jesus, present tense. Present tense. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece, present tense. But J.D., I look at my life and I do not see a masterpiece. I know, that's okay, but you need to start seeing yourself the way that God sees you so that you will be sanctified and transformed in the image of Christ and you are becoming his masterpiece. This is your present spiritual reality. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's all this identity in those 10 verses and then Paul wraps it up with a purpose statement right there. He's connecting our identity with our purpose. This is, listen, this is who you were. You were a sinner, but this is who you are now. It's a saint. And now that you are a saint, you can go do the good things that God planned for you. Once you're in Christ, once you've been born again, your identity has changed. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. And here's the problem with the theology of I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Your view of the grace of God is limited to just all, like God erasing your past sins and just patting you on the back saying, all right, now do better this time. But because you're just a sinner, then every so often you have to stop and you have to go to God and God has to scrub the wake of sin behind you. But nothing is really changing in your life. Nothing is really changing in your, in your, in your mind and in your soul. And you just have this divine eraser to cover up your mistakes and praise God, that's wonderful. But if that's the case, then your theology is absent of any real change. It's absent of the sanctification. It's absent of the full gospel. The full gospel is this passage right here in Ephesians 2. You were a sinner. Now, by the grace of God, you're a saint. And why, why did God do that? So that you can now do the good things that he planned for you long ago. Go 
God's idea of redemption isn't just a giant eraser for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a complete transformation and change from the inside out of your nature and your character, which has an impact on your present reality and your future. But JD, I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with addiction. I still struggle with selfishness. I still struggle with power, uh, being power hungry. I still struggle with, with anger issues and all these things. So, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Listen, living your life identifying as I'm just a sinner saved by grace, it slows your journey down toward sanctification and restoration and freedom. God, his plan for your life is not for you to be a slave to sin. But that's what that statement says. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It means you're still a slave to sin. But God's identity for you is for you to walk in freedom and be an overcomer. He has already defeated sin, the power of sin. Why? So that we could just wallow around in it still? No, so that we could walk in This is what Paul says. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He has already conquered. And now that's the identity that he proclaims over us, that we are conquerors. Listen, the 400-pound guy that needs to drop half of his weight, needs to lose 200 pounds, he doesn't get healthy by continuing to identify as a fat guy. No one ever dropped 200 pounds by just declaring over themselves, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm going to eat a donut, I'm going to eat a donut, I'm going to eat a donut. What are you thinking of right now? A fat guy eating donuts. (laughs) Right? The guy that wants to lose 200 pounds, he does it by getting a vision for his life of what would my life look like to be healthy. And then they start, they, they, they adopt the identity of a healthy person. And then once they start doing that, you know what they stop doing? They, start, they stop doing the things that 400 pound guys do. And they start doing things that skinny people do. And they start eating better. And instead of sitting on the couch, they get up and go for a walk. And then they find themselves in the gym working out. And then they find themselves dropping the weight and becoming healthy. Have you ever, you guys ever heard of um, this, this, the French heiress, Huguette Clark? She was uh, like a poet and a painter, and she lived in these mansions, and she was, went a little crazy towards the end of her life, and she died in 2011, and she left a fortune of $300 million. And she had a, a long-lost nephew, a guy named Timothy Clark, that the family hadn't heard from him in a long time, and she left him in her inheritance $19 million. That's a lot of money. That's going to buy a lot of Shoney's breakfast buffets right there. (laughs) I don't have to worry about kids eating free. And nobody could find this guy to tell him, you're the beneficiary of $19 million. And a year and a half goes by after she passed away. 
And in December of 2012, they found Timothy Gray, frozen to death under a railroad overpass in Wyoming. He was living as a homeless guy, thinking that he didn't have the resources for adequate food and shelter and clothing. But the truth was is that on paper, he was a multi-millionaire. But he was living as a pauper. And you guys, on paper, <laughs> we have this identity in Christ. On paper, we have all these great and precious promises of, of God. But do we know who we are? Do you know that there's an inheritance available to you that you don't have to wait for? It's a reality right now today. Many people are living like they're just spiritually homeless and they're suffering because of it. Hosea chapter four, verse six says that, the, that we, the people, are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And you, you know, we've all heard this said. Well, what you don't know doesn't kill you. You know, like ignorance is bliss. But the truth is, is that what you don't know can destroy you. And, and, and if the enemy can't keep you from knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, his second best attempt will to keep you from walking in the identity that Jesus has bought and paid for you. And his, his attempt will be to keep you from laying hold of the calling that God has on your life. And he does this through deception and delusion. If you are in Christ, you have an incredible inheritance. Your identity is, is that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing, that you're united with Christ, that you're loved and chosen by God, that you're holy and without fault, that you're adopted into God's family and that you are a product of God's glorious grace. You are a saint. If you're here today and you're a sinner, I got good news for you. Jesus came so that you could have a new identity. Praise God. If you're a saint, I've also got good news for you. <laughs> you're no longer defined by your former identity. You're not defined by your past. You're defined by who God says you are in Christ Jesus. So it's time to stop letting the enemy trick us into thinking that we're some kind of hybrid and that we're without power. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Let's renew our minds to the word of God. Let's change the way that we think and get the mind of Christ. We need to know about our inheritance so we don't freeze to death under this, the spiritual overpasses of life. We need to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to break down any old identity that we've still been hanging on to and replace that with the identity of Christ. Why don't you stand with me right now? Here's your homework this week. I'm gonna give you homework. 
<laughs> Ephesians chapter one. It's 23 verses. Just start every day this next week with Ephesians chapter one, with those 23 verses. When you it, do it with a paper Bible so you can just get the Holy Spirit notifications. And just see, just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just help me understand better who Christ is and what he's accomplished and now who he says I am because of what he has done. That's your homework this week. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never declared Jesus as the Lord of your life. I wanna give you the opportunity to make that decision today to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son of whom he loved and has purchased our freedom, your freedom. That you don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. Just abandon the old sinful identity and accept your new God-given identity. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing any of us can do to earn it. There's nothing that any of us can do to deserve it. But what you can do is you can humble yourself and you can repent of your sin. And I want to say this about repentance. This is so good. Repentance is such a gift from God. It is a gift for the sinner to become a saint. And then once you're a saint, it is a continual gift to continue walking on the path of sanctification for your life. Some people have this weird idea that once you're born again, that you don't have anything to repent of anymore because, well, Jesus' Jesus' blood covers it all. Yes, it has covered it all. But if you have unrepented sin in your life, you're, you're hanging on to still some kind of old spiritual identity and you're fooling yourself. That's what 1 John tells us. 1 John who's writing a letter to the church, to believers, says, if we say that we have no sin, then we're just fooling ourselves. But he's not saying identify yourself as a sinner. He's saying use the gift of repentance that God has given to you because that's gonna, listen, you guys, if I look at my life, am, do I still deal with sin in my life from time to time in certain areas of my life? Yes, but if I look at my life five years ago, if I look at my life 10 years ago, if I look at my life 20 years ago, am I still dealing with some of those same things on the same level that I did before? No, why? Because I've been on this journey and this process of sanctification and I, when I find that, oh, there's an area of sin in my life, then I repent of it. I go to God and I say, God, I turned my back on this. God, my identity is that I'm a saint and what just happened did not reflect my identity. So I'm not coming into agreement with that. I repent of that. God, I, I thank you for your forgiveness and I'm gonna walk in the identity of a saint. Help me, Holy Spirit. Repentance is such a gift. And you know what? We repent to the Lord and we repent to one another. We're not, when you do something, and you, you hurt a brother or a sister in Christ, you hurt your spouse, you hurt your children, you hurt somebody, you go to them and you repent and you ask for their forgiveness. This is it's part of, of walking in discipleship and becoming like Christ. 
Repentance is such a gift. And if you're here today and you're a sinner and you need to repent of your sin, do it. Repent and and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believe that Jesus, (laughs) that, that he is gonna be in charge of your life, not you. You're not gonna be the kid at the buffet saying, well, this is my identity and that's my identity. No, God has already declared over you what your identity is because he is King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. And if you would like me to pray with you today to change your spiritual identity from sinner to saint, I'm gonna invite you to do that with me now. And I ask everybody, just let's just close our eyes in reverence to the Lord and, in, and, and to what's happening here in this moment. And I'm gonna ask that not just those who are wanting to declare this today would make this prayer their own, but I would say that every single one of us pray this out loud with me today as we affirm our faith in Jesus and we are thankful to him for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son of whom he loves and purchased our freedom. So just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I declare today that because of you, because of your death on the cross, because of your resurrection from the dead, that you are Lord. You are the Son of God. Come into my life and renovate it. Breathe life into me. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. I turn my back on the past. I belong to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live a life like a child of God. Thank you for giving me a destiny. Help me to fulfill it. Amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer today, whether it was for the first time or because you were prodigal and you needed to come home to God, then welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. You have a new identity. Praise God. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.